What I'm about to tell you was communicated to me directly by an angel. Welcome to Right Start with Jim Custer, teaching pastor of Grace Polaris Church in Columbus, Ohio. Did I get your attention? Do our ears perk up at the mere mention of angels? What if I were to tell you that a word from an angel is never direct? He is always and only a messenger. Some Christians in the first century got a bit too impressed with angels and forgot that they'd been visited by someone greater. Here's Jim. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity of walking in the light, knowing the truth. Thank you for the challenge that comes from those who do not believe and their constant and continual challenges. And um, we pray that you would quicken our faith, give us deep conviction, give us incredible confidence, and create within us that in that that uh, unbelievable gift that you called faith. Make it real to us, tangible. May it indeed prove to be in our lives the evidence of things not seen, the substance of things hoped for, the essence of our response to you, anticipating all that you promised to do prophetically based upon all that you have already done in the past, historically, in speaking your mind, revealing your plan, and extending your grace to us. So bless us tonight as we fellowship together, I pray in Jesus' precious name, amen. It's called Hebrews because if you read it just seriously, read it, just sit down and read it, it absolutely is soaked in things that would be known to the Hebrews that were not known to the Gentiles. It is a book that absolutely is focused at the Hebrew people. That doesn't mean it has no message for us, but it means that its message for them is not cryptically, but clearly spoken to brash Gentiles who don't even know these things and who wrestle trying to understand them. The writer himself is going to tell us there are some things I'm writing about that are hard to be understood. And he's going to say that some of you are going to struggle with this because you are babes. You haven't grown up. You need to grow up. And we're going to come to a passage where he's going to elevate. That is, he's going to say, now look, for the rest of this book, we're going to lay aside these elementary things, and he tells us what they are, and we're going to go on to maturity. Now, that's why it's called Hebrews. It has nothing to do with making coffee. Nothing. <laughs> it's a book written by a man who himself is a Hebrew, and we'll deal with that again later. But first, let's jump into the juicy part. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. In the first four verses, you have a synopsis of the whole book. The author was able, after he had probably, probably after he had written the book, he sat down and he wrote out these first four verses. They encapsulate the whole argument of the book. Lawyers would love this book because in the first four verses, the whole structure, the whole outline, the whole argument is laid out. It's laid out succinctly. 
And then the following, in the following verses, beginning in chapter 1, verse 5, all the way through the end of the book, in exact and precise arguments, four of them, in exactly four arguments, the author shows not only God's ultimatum, but he clearly sets forth what happens if you ignore it or if you substitute your own design for God's decree. Now, the first thing I want you to notice tonight is clearly said in verse 1. Look at it. Long ago, God spoke. The true God is a talking God. He's a communicating God. He's not silent, aloof, withdrawn. That's not true for almost every other religion. All the other religions that I know of that are theistic at all, their view of God or the God that they worship is aloof. He's transcendent. He's away from them. He is cruel. He is mysterious. He can't be understood. He is aloof in the sense of the word that he's above us and he wants nothing to do with us, has no personal intimate concern for us. But the God of the scripture is radically different. That God speaks. He communicates. And notice, he takes the initiative. How many sermons have been preached, books have been written about how to cry out to God and beg God and plead with God and fast and wait and try somehow to stimulate some interest in God in you, to try to get his attention, to try to get him to, to lean in your way. Friend, you don't have to do that with the God of the Bible. He is a talker. He's a communicator. He takes the initiative. He loves his creation. He created you. And although this statement has been radically abused, it is also absolutely true. You have value because he loves you. That's the ultimate answer to why you matter. It's not that you got a brain. It's not that you're creative. It's not that you're good looking. It's not that you're better than somebody else. But the essence of your value is measured by God, the Creator's imposed love for you. That's an awesome way to begin a book. God, this God who speaks and talks, this God who is the main subject of this book we call the Bible, this God spoke. Now note, he spoke to the fathers by the prophets, that's the Old Testament, at different times in different ways. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. That means there are at least two who are God. Now, that's a big problem for those who call themselves theists. You would be amazed at how few Theists are truly Trinitarian. The church struggled the first 400 years about the nature of God. But that's not the end. There's a third member of this Godhead, 
And you'll find it down there in verse, in chapter two, we have to slip into chapter two. But look at what it says in chapter two and verse four. At the same time, God also testified by signs and wonders, various miracles and distribution of gifts from the Holy Spirit. So there's another God guy. I say guy because he prefers to refer to himself as Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And those for him are not sexist terms, but they are means to give us a visual concept of God's identity. We are made after his image, after his likeness. He made us male and female. He did that purposefully. God is three persons. That doesn't mean he's three gods, but it does mean that God is not monotheistic. By that I mean God is not only one being. God is three persons, three personalities in absolute perfect harmony and unity. So God, this God, and all who are God, Son, and Holy Spirit, have been involved in this communication. Notice again, it's God who has leaned out. It's God who has spoken. Now, we won't take time tonight for it, but what I did in my Bible, I took a yellow highlighter and I went through the first four chapters and I marked every word that had to do with communication, with God speaking, with God revealing. If I could flash this on a screen, you'd be dazzled at how many times in the first four chapters God is the subject and speaking, revealing, testifying, demonstrating are the actions he takes place. I would encourage you to do that. That would be a great exercise. And you would suddenly, as I was, be overwhelmed with the fact that God is not monotone. God speaks in a variety of ways. He communicates in a variety of ways. Now that's what the author tells us in verse one. He says that this God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. Now the phrase is translated different times would probably be better translated in, in bits and pieces. That's the way. In other words, during the whole Old Testament period, when God was speaking through prophets, God gave a bit here, 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 a bit here. A couple of years ago, we were on vacation and uh, kind of a little bored that day, so we found a puzzle that was left there by the people who owned the place. We thought, hey, why don't we get the puzzle out and put it together? So we got it out, it was 500 pieces, and we forgot to count the pieces. And you know what happened. That's exactly right. Some of the pieces were missing. Now we had the picture on the front of the box, so we knew what it was supposed to look like. But there were gaps in our puzzle, and it was downright frustrating. 
spend five, six hours working together to try to put this puzzle together and then take a picture. In fact, we were so frustrated, we took a picture of it to remind ourselves never do that stupid thing again. So now we always buy fresh puzzles. Why? Because we want all the pieces necessary to make the whole picture in the box. That fair? Of course it's fair. Well, let me tell you, you need the whole book to have all the pieces. Sad to say, many who have the whole book have never seen the whole picture. And that's what Hebrews does. Hebrews goes back into the Old Testament and picks up a piece here, 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 and then connects it to the mosaic of what God was saying. Now, he was speaking to the fathers. That's the Hebrew prophets. That's not talking about Aristotle. That's not talking about Socrates. That's talking about the Old Testament prophets, the men that God raised up, and women, that God raised up to be his special, anointed, directed spokespeople. How did they get the message? Sometimes through dreams. Remember Daniel's dreams? Sometimes through signs and miracles. Sometimes through a voice. Sometimes through visions. Remember Jacob's ladder? Remember that? Remember that? Sometimes through dramatic illustrations. Like, you remember when God sealed his covenant with Abraham down in the land of Canaan? He sealed it by having Abraham split animals into two halves, a half on each side. And where in that ancient culture, two people making a covenant would have walked through that, a deep sleep fell on Abraham, and Abraham watched as a lamp moved alone through the pieces. What was that all about? It meant that God was committing himself to keep the covenant regardless of Abraham's failures. That's what that meant. Sometimes epic events, like who was that guy that built that big ark? How many years did he spend building that? And what was the response of his society around him when they built that? Remember that? Sometimes it was a night alone in the lion's den. God used all kinds of ways. Sometimes he actually spoke, audibly spoke. Sometimes to the prophets, sometimes, sometimes through the prophets. Sometimes God sent special messengers. As a matter of fact, the word that we use to describe them or define them means messenger. We call them angelos. What are they? Angels. Angels are used by God to deliver messages. Two months ago, we were going through the season where we were celebrating Mary and the shepherds and the wise men and all of those ways that God 
communicated his mind, his message, his program, his plan, his purpose to humans, limited humans, by using extraterrestrial means, messengers. And by the way, that became a huge problem because you see, that authenticated the message and those who received this epistle were guilty of putting a great deal of emphasis upon the angels, the angels. Just like our culture places a great deal of emphasis upon angels, demons, spirits. And that became a stumbling block for them, as we'll see next week. But the point is, in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, as the writer says, long ago, to the fathers, by the prophets, at different times, that means bit by bit by bit by bit, piece by piece, and in different ways. We've talked just a bit about all of those. But this book is going to open up specific illustrations of those things. And this book, the book of Hebrews, is going to give us specific instruction what God meant when he did that, when he said that. What did he really mean? But you'll notice that was then. Now here's a shocker for you. In these last days, you might want to circle that. You might want to mark that. You're living in the last days. How long have the last days been in effect? Biblically, the last days began at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you look carefully at Acts chapter 2 at the experience of Pentecost, there, Peter specifically says, it's specifically written, that the last days began with the advent or with the coming of the Holy Spirit, and we've been living for two, almost 2,000 years in the last days. And sometimes when people ask, uh, what, are the, what are the prophetic signs for the last days? And I, I want to say, for 2,000 years we've been living in the last days. See, the last days in Scripture means that everything God needed to do to accomplish his program has been finished. Everything. Everything God needed to do to accomplish his ultimate claims, his ultimate purposes, has been finished. Can I illustrate that for you? When Jesus was hanging on the cross, the gospel writer clearly tells us that after six hours of physical agony, he shouted, it is, say it, it's finished. What was finished? What was finished? Everything necessary to guarantee God's ultimate total victory in all that he planned to do in redeeming 
his creation, the universe, back to itself. Now, did you know that that same phrase is used twice in the book of the Revelation? It is. Look with me. Look with me. Look over, see if I can find it. Hmm. Look over in chapter all oh, 16. Chapter 16. Now we've come through the seven seals. We've come through the seven trumpets. The seven thunders have spoken and their message is muted. And the last of the seven bowls has been dumped on the earth. That's where we are in the chronology of the book. Revelation 16 and verse 17. When the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, a loud voice came out of the sanctuary from the throne saying, read it. It is done. It is done. Same word. Exact same word. It is finished. It is finished. What's that mean? That means that God's program had moved forward to that stage of its fulfillment. God's full wrath upon the world and those who deceived and those who were deceived and those who destroyed the world, God's full wrath had been poured out, finished, all done. His wrath was done. His judgment had been accomplished. Now, one more time. Look back in chapter 21. In chapter 21 of Revelation, verse 5. And we just read, if we look at verse 3 to get a run on it, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will no longer exist. Grief, crying, pain will exist no longer because the previous things have passed away. The previous things have passed away. Now God is with his people. His people are with them. That's been the ultimate goal since before creation. Why don't Christians believe there could be books added to the Bible, even scriptures written today? It's partially because of Hebrews 1.1. In the old days, God spoke through intermediaries, the prophets, but now he has spoken, past tense, through his son. Jesus is God's final word, and the apostles were authorized to write it down for us. The end. We've begun a new series called God's Ultimatum, Volume 1. The inaugural sermon is God Has Spoken. The single message will come to you on CD for your gift of $7 or more. There will be 19 sermons in the album, and we offer it for your donation of $66 or more. If you appreciate the clarity and perception that Jim brings to us every weekday, we invite you to become part of the Right Start family and to help spread the word with your prayers and gifts. We couldn't do this without regular folks like you, so thanks for prayerfully considering it. You can mail us at Right Start, P.O. Box 437, Worthington, Ohio, 43085, USA, or call 1-800-984-2313. 
That's 800-984-2313. Our website is where we make the radio shows available on demand. The complete sermons are there too. You'll find a link to the daily podcast, and we give you a way to donate, of course, at rightstartradio.org. No spam or junk mail from us, just appreciation that you're connecting. rightstartradio.org. Thanks for listening. I'm Dan Pope. If God has said all he has to say, then why is this play continuing? Why didn't he wrap it up about A.D. 100? Jim will help us think about that and more tomorrow. Please join us again on Thursday for the next Right Start. (music) 